Well, good evening and welcome to another wonderful study. I hope you'll enjoy what we have to say tonight as I've enjoyed studying it. Um, about halfway through Ian's instruction on that song that I didn't know, it struck me that uh, I was paying insufficient attention and as I came up here, I was like, I don't know if I should go now. <laughs> it's close enough, I think. <laughs> but I did like the song. <laughs> so as he mentioned, we're studying John chapter 11 tonight. And this is the account of Lazarus dying and Jesus resurrecting him. And everyone that knows anything about Jesus is probably at least a little bit familiar with this event. It's just, it's just kind of common knowledge in my mind that... Um, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and that's something most people, I think, know a little bit about. So I was kind of surprised to learn uh, that there are some critics out there, and there's, of course, critics out there. They try to claim this event didn't happen because it's not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Uh, but that argument ignores some facts, and so I just wanted to talk about that a minute because I don't think we'd be doing a chapter study justice if we didn't look at some of these facts around this chapter. Well, first of all, there were two other accounts of Jesus raising the dead, and neither of those are mentioned in the Gospel of John. Right? So if you're going to say, well, this one's not true because it's not written over here, then you can't say these aren't true because it's not written over here. And so we'll just take a quick look at those. Matthew 9 and 18 says, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. It's a faith a lot of them had that, that saw him and understood what he was doing. So Jesus arose and followed him. And I'll skip a couple of verses of another account in the middle there. But then it says, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all that land. Also in Luke 7, starting in verse 11, it says, now it happened the day after that, that he went into the city called Nain. Nain, I'm not sure, Nain, I think. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear seized them all, came upon them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. I think fear would grip me. Pretty seriously sure that I would be terrified if I saw a dead man get up and start speaking whether it's Lazarus in the grave or somebody being carried down the street in a coffin. That is shocking. But these people largely worship God and know God. And a lot of them knew of Jesus and knew, knew who he was and maybe, maybe didn't understand, maybe were, were skeptical or wanted to believe or whatever. And so um, in, in these two accounts, this terrifying thing that people witness, potentially terrifying, because... They're godly people in general, the Jews especially. Um, they're not slow to give God the glory and to, and to believe in most cases, <clears throat> as is the case with the crowd that witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. So uh, another thing about this you know, controversy of it 
being written here and not there, and kind of to put that that whole process to scriptural scriptural test. We'll look at how John finishes this book in in John chapter twenty one. It says this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be. We don't know all the things he did, and it's irrelevant. If you missed Ian's lesson on Sunday, he looked at the events as Lazarus' death and, his re- and the resurrection. It was one of several accounts in the Bible where we can learn about God hearing our cries, and Mary and Martha were certainly in anguish there. But as he put it on Sunday, God knows what he's doing. That goes for raising Jesus, from Jesus raising the dead, for specific people to witness, and it goes for putting the text in your hands that you need to read. God knows what he's doing. So if you do a deeper study of this chapter, you'll definitely run into these, these thoughts and considerations as I did, as there's a lot of things people say and, and write that just don't matter. Uh, but I find it important to look at, at this fact because, you know, they do indeed confirm that what we already know to be true is true. Um, I think I missed a verse in here that I meant to talk about. Yeah, so um, there's some other facts around this, like the Synoptic Gospels uh, recorded the miracles done in Galilee, and Lazarus was raised in a village of Bethany, but I certainly am not going to claim that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were held to some sort of rule that they could only report on what they saw in a certain region or anything like that. But it it makes me think of this. Um, Consider the most interesting person that you've ever met, now imagine you're going to write a book about that person, everything they did in the span of two or three years, every day in their life, every notable interaction, everything they did. That might be a pretty thick, hefty book. Now you consider how interesting that person is compared to the Son of God, by whom all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. There's no comparison whatsoever. It's impossible to document everything and recall that after Jesus ascended, these, these writings were made by his inspiration. So they recorded the things that God wanted us to be reading and studying today. Again... God knows what he's doing. <clears throat> uh, find my place. And there's one more point of interest that I found in looking at, at Lazarus, and that was this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's recorded here in Luke 16, starting in verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that... It was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus received evil things. But now he's comforted, and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rise from the dead. All right, now, <clears throat> Lazarus was a common name back then. So we, we find in tonight's chapter 
that Lazarus is named, but he's clarified by listing exactly who his sisters are and his village. It's just a common name. But this is the only parable that Jesus gave that has a character named in it, which happens to be Lazarus. Now, I assume that's factual. I'm trusting some commentary here, but I, I think that's true that there's not another parable where he's naming a character. And I don't believe that Jesus ever did anything just by coincidence. Now, we're not told that this parable is any way a prophecy, but I want to call attention to the end of it here. And it says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rise from the dead. And in, in John 5 and 46 and 47, he says, Jesus said, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Well, guess what? A man named Lazarus did rise from the dead, and those who wouldn't hear Moses' writings in regards to Jesus, they're also not persuaded by that dead man being resurrected. So there's something, something prophetic in, in this parable. Um, and again, I don't believe that's a coincidence, but it doesn't tell us that this was, this was prophetic. It wasn't uh, predicting or telling them that he was going to raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. Uh, but I, I find it really interesting and really impactful, and I think there was some purpose in Jesus' use there. But that's a lot of context around the chapter, so let's take a look at the chapter. Um, <clears throat> starting here in verse 1, John 11, says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So they're very clear on who this, this Lazarus is. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he's not sick just so that he'll die. There's purpose in this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Well, the first big point to call out is Jesus stayed two days after hearing he was sick. And it's not a coincidence that it says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. Now the journey to Bethany supposedly was at least a day and the messenger was too late. Again, referring to Ian's message on Sunday, God knowing what he's doing, this resulted in Lazarus being in the grave for four days before Jesus arrived. And that makes the reality of his death really set in for the witnesses. Two days might be refuted as, as sleeping off a serious illness. You know, God knows what he's doing. <clears throat> Reading on in verse 8, it says, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, but after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. So the 12 hours in the day was, I mean, that's not real clear to understand, but um, the day's going to happen. The, the time is going to be what it's going to be. His time has not yet come. His day is not yet ending. It's not time for him to die yet. He's not afraid of going to where the Jews sought to stone him. But he says Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may wake him up. Okay, he's asleep. They heard he was sick. We're going to go wake him up. And then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. They know how that works. Sleep it off. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. They were unclear. 
Well, Jesus made it clear. Verse 14, it says, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So it's confirmed here. Jesus knows he's died, and he makes it clear to those around him. But when he says, let's go wake him, and clarifies that he means wake him from the dead so that he may believe, so that they may believe. I think it's odd that Thomas, a.k.a. Doubting Thomas, says, let us also go and die with him. Meaning he's willing to follow Jesus to a place where he expect, expects the Jews will kill him and those that are with him. I'm not sure you can really fathom the power to raise the dead, but then also expect to get killed by haters at the same time. Must have been a pretty confusing situation for Thomas. <clears throat> Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So there was a funeral. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was still sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, Martha already knows that Lazarus will be in heaven, but death is so real that it just doesn't register with her that when Jesus says he'll rise again. And in verse 25, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life, well, that definitely also is talking about he's got dominion over life and death, but it's through him that we are redeemed and we have eternal life, and that she understands. But even in her confession there in verse 27, where she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Even in that, it isn't clear that she understands what's about to happen. Uh, She's been in anguish over a very real thing, a real death. And without Jesus, it's a very permanent thing as far as she understands. And when she said these things, she went went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now, um, it doesn't say that Jesus said, go secretly, tell Mary that that I'm beckoning her. But she goes and says, Jesus is calling for you, and and she does it in secret. Jesus has got enemies around there. He's he's in the midst of, of, he's not in the midst of the people yet. He's He's hanging outside of town here. But he knows when the right time is to walk in and perform a miracle, because why? God knows what he's doing. It says in verse 30, Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. She's going to see Jesus, but everybody sees her get up and leave, so they're going with her. Then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, exactly like Martha did, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, 
Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? That's a pretty emotional scene. Both the sisters had the same very first reaction when they, when they first meet Jesus. If you had been here, he would not have died. In fact, others around that followed her out there, knowing that Jesus could heal the blind, figured he could save Lazarus too. That's where the bar is set. They know he's the son of God, or at least they understand something about that. Um, the, the confession in verse 27 was pretty plain. But it isn't understood that he reigns over death. So, yeah, sickness is easy. He can fix that. But dead for four days? That eh, can't be undone, right? Well, Jesus knows it can be. He said out loud before journeying to them, to his disciples, that he was going to go wake him up from the dead. And yet here we are, and he wept. All the people were crying. It was a very sad thing. He had compassion for them. He loved Lazarus. Did that shared anguish and loss of a loved one move him to tears? Or did he need to perform a miracle so that we would believe? That entailed dragging someone back into this perilous world after finishing the race and winning the crown of life? I don't know the answer to that. But I know that when we die, go to heaven, coming back here, even to the ones that we love, it doesn't compare to staying in heaven. That's a pretty sad thought. Winning the race, winning the crown of life, and then getting drugged right back into it. Whether, whether it was his death or his resurrection, it's a powerful, emotional thing, and Jesus wept. <clears throat> now, verse 38. Then Jesus again groaning in himself, really, a, really sickened about this whole situation, but knowing what he has to do, knowing what the use and the purpose of this is. It says, Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. Everybody knows how this works. It's not a pretty sight. He's definitely dead. There's no doubt. Then Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. He was looking like a mummy, prepared to lay there until he rotted away. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. He again making things plain and out loud, four days in the grave allowed to pass, and committing all the glory to God for everyone to hear, then raise the dead so that we may believe God knows what he's doing. That's why this happened this way. So those that would stand by would hear him. He, he did this openly, knowing the impact it was going to have on him. <clears throat> In verse 45, it says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And the Greek here, it's, it's translated to mean that all the Jews who saw this believe. And if my... What I, what I studied is correct, that some who saw this were also Pharisees. And it's to them that Jesus was making sure they heard his prayer, <clears throat> that they would know that he's from God. 
Then they said, what are we going to do about this? There's not a single word there where they're arguing or debating if it was real. There was no disbelief. This happened. It was real. This is getting serious. What are we going to do about it? This is going to keep on going. He works many signs. If we leave him alone like this, we just let him keep doing this. Everybody's going to see it, and eventually everybody's going to believe to the point where the government is going to come and take away our place and our nation, knock them off their pedestal. It's pretty irrefutable that Jesus would destroy their position of power and wealth, and they have no choice but to kill him. At least that's their logic. Now, that logic says, let's kill this guy that has power over death. That'll fix it. That's going to work. And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Did not say of his own authority, but being the high priest. In other words, he was inadvertently prophesying here. He didn't understand that Jesus was going to die for us all that we might not perish. And not one nation only, but all the scattered children of God. He was talking about the here and now and the, the whole situation with possibly the government getting involved and, and people rising up. But he inadvertently prophesied of the salvation through Jesus' death that we get. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. Just kind of some aftermath there. These are people talking about the event, what's, what's going to happen, what the Pharisees are up to. But Jesus has power over death. He proved that he can defeat death. And then he goes and succumbs to death willingly on the cross. And he pulls the rug right out from under Satan and defeats death in the flesh and rises again. But he defeated our, our soul's death. He has dominion over it. Raising one man from the dead was really not a thing. It was, was, was no big deal. It was just so that it would be believed and part of the long series of events that he foresaw and planned and orchestrated. And, and at the right time, at the perfect time, he went to the cross. <clears throat> and so we get the benefit of that. And all you have to do is confess him, repent, and you'll be saved. If you believe that Jesus is the Savior and you haven't done that, then we invite you at this point to come forth. But if you have any other need, prayers, anything that we can do, we'd ask you to come and sit on the front pew as we sing the song selected.